0: I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. We welcome a very special guest host of Mid-South Moments this week. Amongst many career championships, here's a former Elite Tag Team Champion, Lone Star Tag Team Champion, TCW Tag Team Champion, NWA Southern Heavyweight Champion, NWA Southern Junior Heavyweight Champion, NWA Mid-South Unified Heavyweight Champion, and former holder of the NWA National Championship, a belt that was once around the waist of such names as Jack Briscoe, Tommy Rich, Paul Orndorff, Ted DiBiase, Dusty Rhodes, Tully Blanchard, and many more. We welcome to the show the golden boy, Greg Anthony. Wow, in one take as well. How are you doing, Greg?
1: I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, good. Thank you so much for your, your time today. Um, joining us all the way from, from Tennessee, um, and I really, really appreciate you coming on the show so so first of all um just really interested in, in how you became a fan of pro wrestling in the first place and sort of what some what was some of the stuff that you were into when you're growing up
1: um you know i i've said it before you know like my earliest memories of life are you know aren't of my birthday cake or a new bike or anything like that my earliest memories are of professional wrestling sitting on my grandmother's knee watching professional wrestling um she you know we we i was born in southern illinois and that's where we live so we got at the time we got wwf we got um dallas and we got um the crockett territory you know obviously the nwa crockett territory so mm-hmm. when i say you know my earliest memories of wrestling it's 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 my earliest memories of life and it's of totally blanchard and iron anderson and the horsemen and and you know bobby eaton and guys like that um she was a huge fan growing up and just kind of carried it Carried over, I guess. My grandmother's been a fan for over 70 years now, so. Uh, that's
0: fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah. She actually she comes to every one of our events here in Tennessee and uh, sits on the front row. She's she's actually she's becoming more popular than I am. I don't know how I feel about that, but. <laughs> oh,
0: wow. That's that's so funny. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I have talking about this this previously before, but it's such an interesting thing that so many people's entry point to wrestling is through their grandmothers. Because I was the same. My grandmother was a real big fan of. The old ITV wrestling here, the, the world of sports stuff in the mid 80s, and that's how I started watching wrestling. And it seems to be a recurring theme. I don't know what it is about grandmothers, but I hear it over and over again. It's so interesting. I, I think it just just really appeal. I think obviously there was there was there was that definite appeal. So so you in Illinois, it was, it's like this, we're the same age actually, Greg. So we were born in the same year. I'm not going to reveal that year for the rest of the, the listeners. They can guess. Um, <laughs> we're, we're just about to turn 21, both of us. Um, but yeah, so, so it was predominantly, so what sort of, what sort, so WWF ran the Southern, so who was the, I guess it was Hogan champion around that sort of time when, when you were first watching, I presume? Yeah,
1: Hulkamania, things like that, but I was actually, as much as, you know, of course I love all wrestling, but I mean, I was more drawn to the, the Southern territory style wrestling. I was more drawn to um, the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express and guys like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I loved you know you know Ricky Steamboat and Dick Snake Roberts and you know things like that going on in WWF. but you know those guys actually came from that territory system too. Yeah. So you know it, it was one of those things like obviously when I was a kid, I, I loved all the good guys and, and hated all the bad guys. Um, but even as a kid, I would know like if I saw Aaron um, Anderson was gonna be wrestling Tom Zink, you know I was like, oh I got to see that because I knew it was gonna be a good match. I was always drawn. To what I call the seamless Southern heels, the Arn Anderson's, the, the Bobby Eaton's, the Ted DiBiase's, you know, guys like that, Don Morocco, even you know, guys like that. Those are the guys I was always kind of drawn
0: to. I mean, it's so interesting watching this because in, in the UK, we didn't really have, after um, our, our own British dressing was off TV in 88, we didn't really have anything apart from WWF on Sky. And a, you, had a, you had a little bit of NWA, WCW later um, but looking right. back on some of these like Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, I can see why people at the time, if you were, you know, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 or whatever around that time, I can see why people were drawn to this over the kind of cartoonish WWF, because the work was so good. Like, it's so, we'll go on to talk about the, um, this later on, but the, the, the works, unbelievable. I think you could, you could drop these guys out of that time period in the early mid 80s and put them any promotion in the world at any time and they still would have been having a fantastic matches. I think it's just, it really stands the test of time, this stuff.
1: You know, and that's and that funny that you say that. I, I say that all the time. I say that if people ask me what a great worker is, and I tell them anyone that I can take, and I can drop them in in any era in professional wrestling, and they would still get over. They would still find a way to make it work, and that's exactly right. The Midnight Express and Rock and Roll Express went out there and wrestled each other you know around the loop six seven days a week in every town and guess what they could have a a different match every night and still be just as good and that's that's
0: huge testament to those guys so those those were some of some of your favorites who are any other people that kind of you look back on some of your early sort of wrestling heroes
1: yeah i mean like like steamboat obviously was a huge you know huge influence on me i mean flair steamboat was um i remember vividly you Know the two out of three falls match at Clash of Champions and watching that almost kind of you know mouth open in awe for 45 minutes, and then after that match, that was actually the match that I watched. And then I said, Okay, I'm gonna be a wrestler.
0: Oh, you know that's what I mean? Question. So that's good, you answered that. Yeah, so that's that's the moment when you're sort of what would you have been, sort of eight or nine, you think, I want to be a pro wrestler. This, this is it for me, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I kind of I kind of always said it, you know, like I'm gonna be a wrestler, I'm gonna be a wrestler. But that was like that was that put it in cement for me, you know. What mm-hmm. I mean, like I watched that match and I was like, okay, there's nothing else. That's what I want to do.
0: I mean, it must have been so phenomenal. I, I think about this quite a lot because obviously we are a bit restricted here, but sort of point in time for being a wrestling fan in a during a certain feud or living in an area, whether it was ECW or whatever, whatever for actually seeing some of these matches. But living through that '89 period of um, Flair and Steamboat, and then you got Funk and Flair straight afterwards. I mean, those must sure. have been some incredible times to be to be a fan.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, like Flair, and in, in this is Flair. I, Flair was my favorite, you know, by far for many many years up until recently we had a incident where we booked him and he completely no-showed us kind of. Oh, so sorry, I lost, I I lost a lot of the player there. So as a wrestling fan, it hurts because you know, the hardest thing about being a professional wrestler is, is idolizing some of these guys and you grow up and realize they're, you know, they're not as uh, idealistic as you want them to be. Yeah. yeah. So that, that was a tough pill to swallow. So now, you know, when people ask me who my favorite wrestler is, I, I tend to say, you know, Shawn Michaels or Terry Funk or, you know, guys like that.
0: So you're more Michaels here. One, one that I always like to answer, especially given we're sort of same sort of time period is Michaels or Brett. But you sounds like you're more on the, the Shawn Michaels bus of, of those yeah. two.
1: Yeah, I'm more on the Shawn Michaels bus. I, I think Brett was a hell of a technician, you know, and neither one of them were, were fabulous promo guys. But, I mean, uh, I really think that Shawn just, I mean, just the matches he had, to come back from, you know, the, the injury and the second half of his career was, in my opinion, better than the first half. Yeah. I you know, what I mean? and he and he went on and had those that, that match with Triple H SummerSlam. Oh, two was like just perfect. And then, you know, the the taker stuff. I mean, just just every time he went out there, he was just knocking it out of the park.
0: You no, know yeah, I mean, him and
1: Angle, I, Angle too, I mean, that's one of my favorite matches too. him and Angle was was unreal.
0: Oh, that rest, I was I was fortunate to be at that WrestleMania in, in LA, and that was such a phenomenal match, and also surprising finish actually that night as well, because I think that was quite a, a heavy, good guy yeah. winning, good guy winning card actually, and then they I think they decided they wanted you know a bad guy to win what one bad guy per se to win one uh, one match, and Angle was just phenomenal in that. But I agree. I remember towards the back end of Michaels career, thinking. Um, I'm a bit gutted that he's in this tag team with Triple H again because actually I just want, I, all I want is Michael singles matches. And you could see that the, you could see with these little breaks after WrestleMania, um, and you knew he wasn't, you know, long for being a, a semi full time performer. And it wasn't actually long before he, 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 you know, he had that match with The Undertaker at 25, and then came back for 26. And I just didn't believe until the next night on Raw, I think, when they were doing the retirement stuff. that is is this actually it for this? Just absolutely phenomenal form. I just wish he'd have had a, had a few more world title runs in that in that second um, second bit of his career. Because I, I, I know you always seemed in interviews and stuff that he sort of stayed away from it. But I just thought he had so much of it. The other match I really liked, he had a couple of matches with Cena and six, lots of people got different views on Cena. But his match at WrestleMania 23, I thought was really good with John Cena. And he had an, a near hour match in London as well, which I wasn't at, sadly, but which was fantastic yeah. with John Cena as well. I,
1: I point to, you know, I train... I train wrestlers too, and like that's that's a match I point to when people when people come to me and they say, oh, John Cena sucks." I say, like, "Nah, not at all. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Forty. You cannot go 45 minutes with Shawn Michaels in that kind of match and not carry your own weight. Yeah, you know what I mean. Agree. And and that was a phenomenal match. I've I've watched that match several times back myself. You know, and it's just it's unreal too. You know.
0: I mean, I think we, I think the, the difficulty with Cena is that he is very um, people's views on him are very divided because everyone felt that he should have turned. Um, probably, I'm trying to think around the, the, the optimum time. I can't think of an optimum time for him actually, really. But everyone thinks he actually should have turned. But the bottom line is he they were doing you know good pay per view numbers, really much better TV ratings than they are now. So actually, was I don't what do you think was Vince right to keep him on the good guy side of things?
1: Uh, you know, because the fan, because of the internet and the fan uh, views had shifted so much, you know, um, it was just Cena said it best. He said, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to turn heel? So you guys can cheer me. Exactly. You know, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean, so like, I completely understand the business standpoint of, no, we're going to let this ride. I think it really more comes down to, um, you have to, if you're going to be white meat, baby face, then you have to have an evil heel to go against. And like most times he was just going against uh, guys that weren't actually being heel, you know, they were just trying to be cool. And of course, when you're, when you're trying to be a white meat baby face and you're wrestling a guy that just wants to be cool, that's, that's, you know, that's a near death experience really. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Most people don't know how to be a bad guy. Most people don't know how to be a heel anymore. So, you know, it's really, it's really tough for the baby faces on that end of it. So I think if he would have had, you know, to tell me that, you know, John Cena versus Fred Blassie when Fred Blassie was one of the top heels in the business. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, there's no way they would have cheered Blassie. You no. Know? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I mean, you know, it ha- it has to be it has to be looked in the. Um, looked at uh, with the same scope as everything else, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree. The one I think they should have turned, and I think actually had they done it, that now things would have been very different from this guy, he gets slightly tepid reactions. I think after Roman Reigns beat Undertaker at Wrestlemania, that was the time that he should have turned. He should have come out on Raw that the night after and turn. And I think actually with everything that happened afterwards with his you know um, significant health problems, I think he would have come back as a conquering, massive babyface hero at that point. Um, but they never, I, I always felt they 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 used the excuse of, well, it didn't, you know, we didn't turn Cena, so we're not going to turn Reigns, but they're two very, very different, different animals, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I still go back. You still need a heel to go with it. Like, same thing with Roman. When he... Remember when he won the title and then Sheamus came in and cashed in on him, Yes. and he yes. lost the title, right? And then McMahon did an episode of Raw. I can't remember if it was the next night or a couple weeks later or whatever it was, but he came in and he healed on Roman Reigns. And mm-hmm. like when Roman Roman ended up winning the title that night, and you know Superman punched Vince, the entire crowd was cheering and on their feet. You know when yeah. you have when you have a heel that they hate, then they're automatically going to love the baby.
0: Yeah, and then so, the, Royal, the Royal Rumble to set up Reigns' match versus Triple H, because the time yeah. was on the line of the Royal Rumble. Triple H was was what won it completely clean as a whistle when they came in late, it was crotch chopping, supposedly being the heel. And it's just like, it's exa- exactly the, what you're saying in terms of trying to be, a, that, that's not hit being a heel. Um, but yeah, to, 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 to jump back, um, so going back to when you decided to be, you wanted to be a, be a pro wrestler. Talk, talk about that journey from that, that day to actually... How did you train? Where did you find a, a local facility to do did you find a trainer? How, talk, talk to me about that journey from that point to, you know, getting in there and, and learning some stuff.
1: Well, um, you remember Memphis Championship Wrestling. Memphis Championship Wrestling was a developmental territory for the WWF. Mm. And uh, they ran uh, near my hometown. They ran they ran in New Bern, Tennessee uh, once a month. And um, this is when they had Regal and they had, you know, Ron Killings and they had uh, Reckless Youth and, you know, they had the Headbangers at some point. You know, they had just this host of of talents, but like they were only drawing like 30, 40 people in my hometown. Mm. Right. So um, me and my buddy, we're you know, we're both teenagers and my buddy's dad is actually a, a cop in in the town. So he goes to the promoter, Terry Golden, and he says, hey, listen, my my son and his friend are, you know, they're trying to break in the wrestling business. Can you help them? Right. So Terry Golden, being the businessman that he is, um, actually decided to put us on the card, decided to put us as what he called an intermission match.
0: Okay. wow.
1: Right. So um, he put us as an intermission match with intermission was actually a semi main event. And we ended up drawing, like, 200 people that night
0: because two oh. local hometown boys <laughs> were on the card.
1: What were the nerves
0: like going into this thing? Was it, I mean, I imagine oh. that's terrifying, isn't it?
1: Yeah, we were, we were beside ourselves. We'd never done anything in front of a crowd before. We had just we kind of got in the ring that afternoon and kind of showed them what we could do, and he kind of helped us piece together some stuff and, you know, that kind of thing and just let it fly. And we ended up mm. doing, you know, relatively well considering all things considered and um we did that for you know several months until they closed the developmental territory and then we caught on with local company and started training more and doing things like that so that's kind of how it all started
0: wow so and, and that's so in terms of from from then to now have you have you pretty much been able to sort of maintain this as, as full time as you can since that since that point
1: uh i mean as much as we could i mean tennessee has always been very. Um, you know, weekly show heavy. So there's always been little weekly shows around here. So there's always Mm -hmm. been like that. But I mean, I I tried to catch as much as I could, as I could. Ended up, you know, catching on with guys like Matt Riviera and traditional championship wrestling and things like that. I got, you know, I was, traditional championship wrestling was available in 50 million homes here, you know? So it was just one of those things, just kind of always getting better. You know, I've wrestled, you know, close to 3,500 matches now.
0: I think. Wow, that's insane. that's insane. That's a lot. That's a lot of matches, isn't it? We're, we're the same age. You've done 3,500. I've done zero. So that's uh, 3,500 between <laughs> us. That's that's quite in, quite incredible, Greg. Um, so, so so tell me something. So, tell tell me um in terms of because a lot a lot of listeners and a lot of people that are you know big fans of wrestling. Um, and 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 I think I think wrestling is is a, a genre of entertainment where people are naturally quite. Quite critical. So, uh, looking, looking, I won't, we won't go too far behind the curtain. But looking at a, you know, a typical wrestling event day for you, what, what does that, what does that look like in terms of getting to, get to a show? What are your sort of commitments beforehand? Run me through your, you know, your lead up to a, you know, participating in a wrestling match these days.
1: In promoter slash booker,
0: <laughs> you know, so my day is a little different than the normal
1: wrestling day. Mm. Uh, but even when I was just, if, if I'm just a talent on the show you know, I've always been the guy that got there early, you know what I mean? Like I never, um, I've never had a promoter call me and go, Hey, where are you? You know, that kind of thing. They always knew that I was be there and be there in plenty of time. So, you know, just as, just as long as, you know, most people want to want you to get to the building at least an hour before bell time. You know, most time I was, you know, two hours, two and a half hours just so I didn't have to stress or, you know, try to rush to get there. And, um, I would just get there and, you know, make sure everything's in line, make sure what they wanted, you know, that kind of thing. So we're all prepared for whatever, you know? Um, but you know, you just try to last thing you want to do is, is be racing through traffic or, you know, especially if it rains or sleet or snow or you blow a tire or something like that, always give yourself enough time to get there and, and, uh, you know, or you can relax and, you know, cause you're, you know, what we're doing is, May seem minuscule to some people, but I mean, and and since you're, you know, guys putting their life in your hands, and if you're, know you're gonna body slam and then drop them on their head, you know, I kind of want that guy to not be stressed.
0: Yes, yeah. Have you ever been in a position where you've been in there with someone where actually, for whatever reason, you're like, this guy's not in the right, you know, physical state, right frame of mind. This is this is worrying. I mean, and, and no names need to be mentioned here, but. Just wondering, have you ever had that sort of feeling where you know I'm not quite comfortable with this, and this is not quite how I want this to be, really?
1: oh uh, yeah. I mean, in 20 years, I mean, especially in Tennessee, there's been there's been tons of times, like guys being intoxicated or being mm. maneuvered in some way, shape, or form. You know, you um, you know, I've you just you do what you can. Your number one rule is protect you, protect your opponent. You know, so um, what I if, if I don't feel comfortable with a guy giving me a backdrop or picking me up, then he's not going to give me a backdrop
0: or pick me up. Sure. And, that, and is that how you how you would do it? You know, we're doing something else kind of thing. That is that how you would kind of get out of that sort of scenario, I suppose?
1: Yeah, we there's been plenty of times like we wrestled a guy in Texas that was completely drunk off his ass. You know, what I mean, mm. like, you know. Uh, there was no way he was ever going to do anything to put us in a compromised position where he could hurt us legitimately. Yeah. You know, so it, be- it basically became a match of punches and kicks and tackles and, and you know, not even hip tosses because we didn't trust him to even do a hip toss at that point. You know, so and then, you know, if 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 you then you go to the promoter or the booker, you tell them your your gripes and, hey, this guy doesn't need to be fucking like this. Don't ever put me in the ring with him again. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of let it go from there. I mean, if, if they choose to try to book you guys again, you just make your case again, and you have a choice of either doing what they ask or not working for that company. That's kind of, that's where the professionalism part comes in.
0: Have you found that, and, and, and I've heard Brian Alvarez say this on some of his podcasts with Dave Meltzer around, when he was doing independent wrestling around uh, sort of early 2000s, it was a really different um, atmosphere backstage, a lot of sort of drinking, drugs, etc. But actually now it seems to be a bit better. Have you, have you found that, that the... The younger guys are more interested in the video games and such like rather than, um, you know, other activities, shall we say?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. You understand? Mm. Like, even though there was guys that were drinking and maybe, you know, maybe they're worried about, you know, uh, going after the girls after the show or something like that. You know, at least they were men. You know what I mean? At yeah. least you can you could trust them to take them to a to a bar. And if if, if something went down, they had your back. You know what I mean? Nowadays, there's a lot of guys that are just they're just fake tough guys. They've never been in a fight in their life. And there's they're they're scared to death of any physicality, really. And like, yeah, yeah, I mean, like and you can see it within the work, too. Like when you see a guy do eight super kicks to the face in one match, you know, what I mean, like. Obviously, that guy has never been kicked in the face. You no, understand? No,
0: yeah, yeah, I completely what you I completely mean. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I guess some of that brotherhood not- and camaraderie that maybe used to exist has changed a bit now where it's just a bit of a different generation of guys, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's just everybody wants to, you know, they all look at it as phony art. And I don't look at professional wrestling that way. I still believe the best way to sell professional wrestling especially when someone is, you know, paid to watch you and they're only six, seven feet away from you, you know, is to uh, make them believe it's real. You know, and the only way to do is to, you know, uh, follow the tried and true position, uh, tried and true um, stuff that's been going on for over 100 years. Um, The guys that are trying to reinvent the wheel and trying to change the business to because they can't do those things. That's the ones I have problems with.
0: Hmm. I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, I've f- fanned 30 plus years now, and logic holes really get to me. And I understand, you know, there's things as, as a viewer you've got to suspend a disbelief, but I, you know, I can't, remember, I don't know what, getting on for 100 live shows in my life now. When I go to a wrestling event, one, one a good example recently, so Will Ospreay, I'm a big fan of his sort of uh, not super local, but from the southeast of England. So what followed his career for a long time. He recently won the British title in London. And that was real. That was as real as it gets. That 1,000 or so people in York who erupted when he won that match. And that was a real technical match with Zack Sabre Jr. And it was just done perfectly. But other times you see things, just like, well, that just doesn't make logical sense. It just takes you completely out of the match. And I think you're right. That the, the core, of, and this is from a completely layman's perspective, for me as a fan, the core of wrestling should be what would this be if this was real? And I know there's some moves and you have to suspend disbelief and there's some things that wouldn't really happen in a real fight. And actually that's fine. Like people have got mixed martial arts for that if you want to see the real fight. But I think you can you can do it in a pro wrestling sense and, and, and keep the disbelief suspended and not have massive logic holes. And I think, I think that's the key, the key thing. The best stuff that I've seen recently really has been either New, either New Japan long-term booking with storylines and actually the, the matches are hard-hitting and realistic. Or, or some of the main event AEW stuff that they've done. But some of this, some of that stuff has, has had problems. We'll, we'll jump about a little bit, but I'm interested and I, we'll get back to some of your, some of your career hearts and some of the interesting people you work with. But as we're on the, on the topic, what are, your, what are your typical viewing habits now? Are you staying up to date with everything? Do you religiously watch any promotions or are you sort of diving in and out as a lot of people tend to these days? Uh, actually, you know, and I'll, I'll say
1: this, you know, I, I used to watch everything like mm. literally everything i used to watch wwe wcw velocity you know everything oh wow That's that a i could watch. The past there. yeah yeah i mean sunday night heat i mean everything i used to watch literally everything and um as the years are going on i just i just can't do it like i can't physically force myself to watch some of this stuff because it's so bad yeah but what i found is I watch things in fast forward. So I'll watch, I'll watch raw or I'll watch AEW. And if I'm interested in a segment or, you know, maybe someone said, Hey, this was really good. I'll stop and watch that part of it. Otherwise I just kind of, I'll watch the promos. I'll watch the finishes, you know, see what they're, what they're trying to accomplish, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's it's just one of those things where I I just can't, there's, there's so much, you know, when you're working for the largest companies in the world and you can't even throw a punch, you know, that that bothers me.
0: <laughs> I imagine as a, as a rest of yourself, these 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 logic and working bits must niggle you massively, I'd imagine.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I go on tirades all the time about
0: different <laughs> stuff. So here's it's, a question uh, as, a, as a as a booker as well. What what do you do? What would you do with with a three hour rule? What do you do with that to make that to improve it? Is it possible to make a wrestling show weekly three hours? It's tough. I mean, it, it,
1: obviously three hours is like a huge threshold for stuff. But what you have to do is you have to find um, different ways. I mean, you've got three hours. You've got three hours. So let's get over as many people as we can in that three hours. Um, so maybe you do some, some realistic vignettes. And when I say realistic vignettes, I mean, I don't like the vignettes where two guys are sitting talking backstage and they don't know that there's a camera eight feet away from them. Yeah, you understand. Right. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I think that kills my suspension of disbelief and I, I'm sure it does everyone else. You know, why would they be having this conversation? So realistic vignettes, you know, stuff like, you know, what the horseman used to do, you know, I remember one specifically where Magnum TA was cutting promos for the live events. He's like, Oh, we're coming to Richmond, Virginia on this day, blah, blah, blah. And he was doing that kind of going, kind of going through those things. And the horseman came in, and attacked him. That was a, and there was a reason why the camera was on. There was a reason why Magnetier was there. And they caught him off guard. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's a realistic vignette. You understand? Um, so I would do vignettes maybe to, you know, to broaden people's characters. But also we can have longer matches too. You know, you can have matches that are 20, 25 minutes long. Because you've, com- you've got a couple of commercial breaks and things like that. You know, you can let guys spread their wings and kind of actually wrestle. You know? And there's nothing wrong with grabbing a hold. I mean, I, for some reason, I think people think a chin lock and a bear hug and, and a abdominal stretch and things like that are passe, and they don't work anymore. But I'm here to tell you that they do work. I won a match with an, uh, an indomitable stretch last year.
0: <laughs> oh, really? we've nuts. got some. We've got some in this show. We're gonna. We're going Because I, I, I noted that down. And it's just interesting to say that. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I thought. I thought for a long time some of the uh to sort of count down to UFC and the uh, HBO Southeast for the Mayweather and Delahoya fights and that sort of thing. I think there's a place for that on Raw. I think you can do long segment pieces on particular characters. And I, and I think you're right about the matches. I think at the moment, the problem with the matches at the moment is you get a lot of 10 or 15 minute, 10 or 15 minute encounters where the outcome doesn't mean anything. And they do a lot of 50-50 booking where they'll have, one, have a match one week. Someone will win. They'll have it again the next, the next week. Someone else will win. I think there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, have a tag team title match, and before each one, have two minutes of history on the tag team titles, and, and show some classic moments, and do it with the intercontinental title, and make those title matches mean something. And have another, like a challenges match, so they go forward the following week. But I, I, I struggle with WWE a lot now, and I, it'd be interesting. And what, I, what your thoughts on the on WrestleMania and what they're doing? Would you, would you cancel it altogether? Would you have still had it? Um, I mean, it's, 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 they feel, it feels like they're coming off a little bit tone deaf given what, given what's going on. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to get your view on that.
1: Yeah, that's, that's just a really tough spot. I mean, what, I mean, I think, I think someone else had mentioned this too, that I think it may be some kind of insurance issue where if they cancel the event, then they lose X amount of dollars, but it, because it's insured unless you know the city cancels it you know things like that you know i think that has a lot to do with some of the decision making process it's going to be a tough watch to watch a wrestlemania with no crowd obviously um there's a way to do it and if there's you know hopefully they they figure out that way but it's it's going to be tough you know obviously i would love you know there was a i don't know if it was a teaser or just a um, a fan-made thing, but, you know, someone said something about moving it to June and moving it to Madison Square Garden.
0: I'm I a huge that was fan of... that Mad- originally thought about, yeah. That was originally... Because I think CM Punk tweeted about it, actually. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, a, a,
1: that, that a huge fan... Of, I'm a huge fan of Madison Square Garden Wrestlemania. So I just think mm-hmm. the energy in that building, obviously, is, is huge, especially since that's where it all began. You know, things like that. <clears throat> you know, whether they can hold off the booking, because, you know... You know, if they hold off till June, then pretty much the entire card maybe is going to change besides maybe one or two main events. So um, it's just it's just a tough spot to be in. So there's really we won't won't know what's a right answer and what what's a wrong answer until, you know, after the fact 2020 vision. So,
0: no, I agree. But the the thing is, uh, did you see the AEW um, empty arena show last week Um, with it? Yeah, I mean I thought they got the tone right, but the bits of WWE I've seen where they're talking about it's too big for one night and they're not mentioning what's going on. It's just like, come on, guys, like you everyone's watched this for a long time. Like the demographic of your viewers is, you know, is skewing old. Everyone knows what's happening. So just be honest. Stop with the WWE speak, like no one, no human beings actually speak and just tell us this is what we're doing. I do get from a point of view that you wanna you wanna I think what they're going to do is get these results done get the belt off goldberg possibly get the belt off lesnar as well um, and then probably come to a pause i think at that point and raw will just be classic matches for a few weeks until things become a bit clearer but i i do think there's something to be said for hitting that pause button before us before wrestlemania and having a big triumphant whether it's arena madison square garden that would have been ideal actually to come back in the home of wwe madison square garden wrestlemania in june july or whenever the whenever they can first do it and that is that that's because they at some point they're gonna have to hit pause and so are AEW, i think um, because each of the i mean it's very it's different in, in obviously in the states i guess state by state have got different laws around public gatherings yeah. but if it's anything like the uk is going to be and there's no indication it won't be i mean you can't you can't be with you can't be with three you can't be outside with three people at the moment so let alone having a wrestling you literally couldn't have a mat a wrestling match because you'd have three people in the ring so i mean that's how nuts it is um yeah it's difficult isn't it yeah i think that
1: uh you know i i think the problem always comes back to they they have to create original content you understand yeah. like you know you know I think those contracts, especially the Fox contract, you know they're paying them you know what was it, two billion dollars over five years or something like that. You know so I mean that's that's a huge or a billion dollars over five years. Um, that's just a huge deal. I mean, they have to create that content. so I, I don't know if they can even get away with doing Clax you know whether they can talk Fox and hey, <laughs> help us out here. Yeah, you know, man, just
0: extend us for three months and we'll, you know, you don't pay us for three months, extend us for three months at the back end and we'll give you classic matches every Friday night or we'll go or, you know, pay us 50% or 25%. Because those classic matches, they're not going to do any worse ratings particularly than Raw and SmackDown are doing. I, I think didn't, didn't WrestleMania uh, 30 on ESPN and you got 800,000 viewers or something the other night, which is, I found that incredible for A, a long show and B, that's something that is, what, six years out of date now. I mean, that's quite a phenomenal number of them I would have thought
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, like the WWE Network, for instance. I mean, I, I rarely watch anything new on the WWE Network. I watch all the classic stuff. So I mean, mm. um, and that's the reason I'm probably always going to have the WWE Network. You know, but I, you know, I I also have, you know, a room full of VHS tapes of the the Raws and the Smackdowns and the Velocities and the the old Crockett promotion. I had the WWE Network before the WWE. Network
0: yeah yeah that's great <laughs> i remember i used to think about I, used to, I i i got i got rid of my VHSs which is a sad sad when i finally moved out of my parents house i got rid of them but i remember thinking i wish there was some way you could put all my dvds onto a service and just be able to without having to get up and um put the put the disc in etc now now we've got that and um, right. going backwards again so tell me more about your your wrestling career so what, what are some of your sort of personal highlights and sort of interesting people that you've to come across who actually in-ring worked with um, during your career?
1: Uh, I mean, one of, the, one of the big things was, you know, me and Bobby Eaton were actually a tag
0: team for two years. Oh, my um, God. I didn't know that. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah,
1: we were, we were midnight gold. I'm the golden boy, Greg Anthony. Obviously, he's Midnight Express, so we were midnight gold for about two years um, throughout the South here, and uh, it was it was a great run, I mean. That was the first time that really people uh, outside of my general area were like, "Okay, who's Greg Anthony?" You know, what I mean, obviously something to this guy if Bobby Eaton's tagging but <clears throat> And Bobby, you know, is legitimately the nicest guy I've ever met. I mean, not just in wrestling. I mean, probably in in general, the nicest guy. He would literally give you the shirt off his back, even if he just met you. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you know the fact that he was. As good as he was, as revered as he was as a professional wrestler and, you know, uh, being that nice, I mean, it's just, it's incredible to think about. Um, one of my buddies actually told me a, a Bobby Eaton story that I think kind of sums everything, It sums Bobby up in one story, I think. He said he was on a show with Bobby and uh, he, he was, my friend was fixing to go out, but he couldn't find his shirt that he wore out to his entrance. And he was looking around for his shirt and Bobby came up and said, hey, you know, what are you doing? He said, I, I can't find my shirt. So Bobby started helping him kind of look for the shirt, right? So then um, the, guy says, the guy says, well, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll find it later. And like goes out and does his mask. Goes out, goes out and does his match. 20, 25 minutes later, gets done with the match. comes to the back. Bobby's still looking for his shirt. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and to me, that's that's a great Bobby Eaton story because it tells you – I mean, he genuinely wanted to find that guy's shirt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind
0: of, what, what guy – I heard I think the Steve Austin quotes would be quite um, quite famous there. I remember him on a a DVD interview somewhere, but talking about Bobby Eaton how he'd always keep things in his bag just in case any of the guys needed anything. He was just like the, the absolute sweetest heart of a of a guy. Um, so yeah, that that's that's wonderful. So you're tagging with him for two years then. That's that's quite a long time, and there must have been some pretty spectacular moments during during that. And did did you ever find yourself on the ring apron just looking over and thinking I, I actually can't believe this is actually happening or do you have to be a being a pro i guess it's like you probably have to put some of that stuff aside at, at some point
1: i mean i it, it happened well here's the thing like it was this was near the end of bobby's i was actually involved in bobby's last match you know we mm. did a big six man that was bobby's actually last match so this was at the obviously the tail end of his career <coughs> so i was you know i was there to you know do a lot of the work you know that kind of thing so bobby you know, which he's earned the right to, to, to rest. You know what I mean? He's Bobby Eaton, you know, he's yeah, done so much for yeah. me. So I was there to kind of, to handle the workload, but this is how good Bobby Eaton was. We would be in the ring. I would be in the ring with somebody, maybe somebody that I'd known for years and we've worked and we'd be going, you know, and I'd look over in that corner and, and Bobby got a look on his face like it was 1986. Again. Really? You know what I mean? He God. didn't, yeah. he, he, he didn't, he didn't want to be the weak, the weak link in that. He didn't want to be the guy that couldn't go. He wanted to wrestle. And I tag him in and he would he would start going. You know what I mean? And it was it was just like you said, I would sit on the apron. I'd probably had a big grin on my face because it was just so amazing to watch, you know. Oh, that's
0: that's that's fantastic. So of all of those of all of those titles, um, you've won you've won great, what which one was the uh what's on the most important to you? And I guess also which was the the sort of happiest moment? And they don't have to be The same, I guess, but which which tell me about some of those titles that that must always be when you're growing up thinking about being a wrestler, actually getting that title from a referee and and winning a championship for the first time must be, you know, quite a phenomenal moment, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean. The first title I won was the um, which was very important, was the NWA Southern Junior Heavyweight title, Mm. you know, and when you go back and you look at the history of that title. It goes all the way back to 1939, you know, and it's it's been helping guys like, you know, Jackie Fargo and and, um, Herb Welch and Jerry Lawler. And, you know, it just it goes on and on. And that actually that title is actually part of our that title history is a part of our company now in in pro wrestling in South. We've commandeered that title pretty much. So that title goes all the way back to 1939. So that was a huge deal for me because it has so much history with it. I was always kind of a guy that always loved wrestling history. Um, another one that was important was, of course, the, you know, the NWA national heavyweight title. Mm. You know, when you talk about guys like the Mass Superstar and Tommy Ridge and Paul Warndorf and guys like that, and the fact that I'm a three-time, you know, NWA national heavyweight champion, you know, I, I think I've solidified at least a small place of, of my history in, in wrestling history, you know?
0: Oh, so, if anyone ever looks at that, any of those names, and they look at um, any of their, you know, their title issues, look on the, look at the belt, and the, you're, you know, you're, you're always going to be on, on there, um, with in, just incredible names, and just to win a title with the NWA initials on it, it's just, you know, that, that's, um, you know, that's something that's ex- exceedingly special, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, another one, you know, was the t- TCW. A junior heavyweight title because when I won the TCW junior heavyweight title, it was kind of a, like a almost like a call to arms kind of thing because when you said junior heavyweight or you said light heavyweight or you said cruiserweight, it automatically meant less than, than a lot of people's off You know what I mean? Like it was very much a very less than title. And it was also, you know, it was geared towards the guys that were going hundred miles an hour and doing, you know, a bunch of stuff that didn't make any sense like we talked about earlier. Um but my my thought process and my vision for the TCW Junior Heavyweight title was to take it back to the days of, of Luthez and Danny Hodge. You know, Luthez was the World Heavyweight Champion. Danny Hodge was the Junior Heavyweight, World Junior Heavyweight Champion. And those two men were actually uh, looked at as peers. Not one was greater than the other, right? So, and that was kind of my deal. I wanted everyone to realize that Junior Heavyweights, just because I weighed, happened to weigh less than Lance Hoyt, didn't mean that i was any less of a champion than lance
0: no no yeah so
1: so then i i kind of took that danny hodge mentality was you know and i'm not just you know i'm not this guy that's just going to bing around for you like a mexican jumping bean or anything like that i'm going to go out there and i'm going to wrestle i'm going to have the best match on this card every night because that's who i am Mm.
0: I mean, I think it's an odd thing in wrestling that that is still, I mean, it's still, it's still a bit of a thing now, really, because even in New Japan, where the junior title is, um, you know, really revered, it's always, it was always about, or it has been about, Will Ospreay is a good example, again, for a couple of years, when's he going up to heavyweight, when's he going up to heavyweight, and I know that he resisted for a long time. And that so he really wanted wants to main event the Dome as a junior heavyweight. But again, he's gone up now. But actually, if you think of mixed martial arts, who's the biggest staff? Um, Conor McGregor is, is what, 155 pounds or, or or fights at welterweight now at 170. Floyd Mayweather has done more pay-per-views than anyone. And what was his weight? 140, I think, was his weight, his, his peak, wasn't it? And then he went up to 147. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit nuts, really, that, that that wrestling is is still a bit behind the times, really, with that now. I would say.
1: Well, and I understand if if you
0: put, you know, if you if you have
1: a great heavyweight and you have a great light heavyweight, people are going to gravitate towards the heavyweight. I understand that yeah. more now than I did, you know, ten years ago. And I, I'm not I'm not upset about my size. Um, like a lot of people think my size or my height is, is a detriment. I'm not really, you know, I think there's exceptions to every rule and I believe I'm the exception. I believe yeah. fully, fully admit, but there is the exception. I believe, um, you know, Conor McGregor is the exception. But, okay. So you know, the
0: character, the personalities behind these individuals are the reason that the, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean like not everyone, not everyone that's small is Ray Mysterio. You know, not everyone that's fat is dusty roads. You know what I mean? Like, the, those guys were once-in-a-lifetime talents, you know, and that's, that's why they were able to do that. But people, I think, use those guys as crutches sometimes as, well, you know, Dusty Rhodes was this or Rey Mysterio is this. Well, you're not either one of those guys, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So th- there, has to be, there has to be a little bit of um, – there has to be some truth and some, some, some inner truth, really, for you to understand who and what you are.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and talking talk about um, just just going slightly off topic, because I've, I've watched it today. Have you, have you seen the Benoit documentary, the um, the Vice thing that's just come out this week?
1: Yeah, I did. I, I watched part one the other day, and I watched part two last night. So yeah, what did, um, what did you think? Man, the first one was was rough. Uh, the first yeah. one, you know, how tore up everyone was about Eddie and all that kind of stuff. That was that was rough. The second one um, was obviously. It was hard, but you know it was, you know, kind of expected. I'm, I'm really, I'm really surprised that really no one really even talked about the the Kevin Sullivan rumors. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like obviously,
0: like, well, they about yeah.
1: I know there's some there's not much validity to it after once you get into it, but I mean, at least I think they really should have just touched on it just a bit. I think uh, Chavo in, in in the first one, I think said something about Kevin Sullivan was a. they said he was a Satanist but he he's not a Satanist blah, blah blah and they just kind of blew past it. I think that was their their one shot at it
0: yeah I mean it was it was it was really I mean it was it was really a really hard to, thing to watch I'm not, I'm not sure not sure. given up what's going on here and I'm basically quarantined at home it was perhaps the best um best viewing to, as a pick-me-up today but it was uh it's such a horrible song it really reminded me of of that Really horrible day when it all came out. Um, and going back, we are talking about Madison Square Garden earlier. When I, I went to WrestleMania 20 at the Garden, and I met Chris Benoit the day before he won the title, very, very briefly, like a meet and greet thing. And I just remember that 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 it just it's it's just such a sh- like you think for, especially growing up in London, you know, like to, to ever get to Madison Square Garden to see any show was always like a dream. Watching WrestleMania 10 on TV, I was a big Bret Hart fan and seeing him win the title and actually making it out there. And then all of that memory now is all like a, it's very difficult. And I would never judge anyone for what they have used on Benoit matches and watching stuff, but I, I can't really watch anything. It all—it just It's just kind of an odd feeling for me watching the stuff. How, how do you, can you watch it? Can you separate the two? I know some people can, some people can't, and there's no rights and wrongs here, but can you watch a Chris Benoit match in the same way? I mean, would you, for example, think I actually, I'd really... I'd really like to see see like a d- DVD of sort of best matches kind of thing, or or is it just again? It's just just makes it feel a bit, a bit awkward and a bit odd, really. Now,
1: yeah, it's I don't think you can do anything like that, but I mean, I I watch matches of his because I, I do um, obviously res- respect his in ring ability. Mm. Um, the way that everything ended, though, obviously is is you know is tragic. I mean, yeah, I being a father, you know, being a, you know that was. <clears throat> that was, um, it was a 2007, 2007. Yes, yep. Yeah. 2007. I mean, I, I had actually, I was a couple way, couple weeks away from being a father for the first time when all that stuff happened, you know, mm-hmm. and now I'm a father. I, my, my boys are 12 and 10, you know, and I can't imagine, um, anything more horrific than, you know, taking your own child's life. I mean, it's just, no, it's, it's, you know, so, I mean, from a personal standpoint, obviously, I'll never, I'll never sing his praises as a, as a man or a husband or anything like that. Um, you know, his his in ring work, you know, is something that can still be looked at and studied. We just have to try to separate the two as much as we can, much like we do with OJ and football. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the guy ran for you know thirty thousand yards or something, something like that. I don't know, but I mean, <clears throat> you know, it doesn't mean he wasn't a great football player, but he's not a very good human being. You
0: yeah, know, so, exactly. I think that's best, best, that's that you sort of sum that up sort of really perfectly. What, what are your plan going back to your your wrestling? What's your what's your what's your plan? Are you have you got a, a number of years in, in mind? Are you going to try, try and carry on for as long as you can? What's your sort of goal at the moment?
1: Um, well, I joke around all the time and say that I'm trying to make it to the age of 74. I want to have my okay. last match <laughs> when I'm <laughs> seven, that, was, that was Lutez's uh, age when he wrestled chono and the tokyo dome so uh that's that's my goal of course i'm i'm 38 years old and i've already had uh, heart surgery <laughs> oh <laughs> so, crazy, um,
0: are you okay
1: yeah i actually um it turns out that i have what they call a, a left dominant heart which means my blood flows to the left not the right but it also means that it turns out that i have no right arteries on my heart i just have left oh, so basically God. Yeah, it was is it was a huge deal and we didn't we didn't know, you know, I, I was having I end up having a 90% blockage in my widowmaker and 270% blockages everywhere else and I was still wrestling. Um so I ended up having to have uh, it was actually I found out about I found out the day before I was supposed to have uh, a shot at the NWA World Heavyweight title. Oh, so mm. Yeah, so I had to cancel that match and um it was just a rough rough thing altogether you know i i ended up having surgery and i was out of the ring for about four months and i came back you know strong as ever and i have checkups all the time so I, i'm doing fine Good. and that was uh you know, that was in uh 2017 so we're coming up on three years now um but yeah it was it was a it was a rough bit
0: yeah i imagine that really pretty really scary stuff um but I'm glad. I'm glad to hear you're sort of everything sort of moving in the in the right direction now. So just before um, just before we go on to the um, mid south review, um, what's your favorite all time match that you've ever had? If you can if you can sort of name one, and if you can't, ha- yeah, handful is also good.
1: Okay, I was going to say get get down to one would be hard. Um, well, actually, you know, I, I came the the night I came back from. And had my first match back from the heart surgery. It's still I still get goosebumps from it because it was just a, such a moment for me. Because that was the hardest four months of my life. You know I, I've wrestled I've wrestled my entire adult life. You know and that was the, that was the only time that I wasn't able to wrestle was those four months. <clears throat> so when I came back and I actually won the, uh, the Pro Wrestling Mid South Unified Heavyweight Title from Simon Reed, um, that was a huge moment. Um, I also had um, years ago I had a knockdown drag out fight match with a uh, with Jay Lethal. You know, he was the Ring oh, of Honor right. yep. He was the Ring of Iron Television champion at the time and I was the TCW Junior Heavyweight champion at the time and we just we tore the house down in uh, in Arkansas. Um you know, just uh, I had an Iron Man ma- I actually had an Iron Man match last year um, against a guy named Jacob Edwin who's who's a very talented young guy. And we had an hour-long Ironman match. And, oh, wow.
0: uh, well, it's, old, old school hour-long one. That's incredible. Yeah. How did that? Was that the first time you like, got an hour? Uh
1: yeah. I mean, I'd gone 45 minutes, 50 minutes, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But that was the first time I'd ever ever gone like a legit hour. Did, um, you, find, uh,
0: did you? I mean, did you? Did you have to? It's probably, it's probably. Or maybe it's not a silly question actually. But did you have to find? Did you find yourself doing? Or like a different training or something different in the run ups that match knowing that you're going a really really long time
1: yeah yeah obviously cardio was an issue i, I carved up that whole day i was eating pasta and things like that just make sure i had enough energy but it was really fun for me because you know here i am it was two years after my heart surgery and i had an hour-long match you know That's what i mean lovely. it was yeah. it was a very it was a very surreal moment you know i got we I, I did the hour, I won the match, you know, the bell rang and it was just like you know, just a, a big sigh of relief, like,
0: wow, I did it. You know. That's incredible. That is incredible. we we'll, we'll, we'll um when we get to to the end, Greg, we'll um sort of let the people know where they can they can see some of your stuff and also any any shows and stuff that you've got coming up. Um, But now we will go forward to um, the April seventh, 1984 episode of Mid South Wrestling. So, what is your previous experience with uh, Mid South? Is is this a promotion that you've you've watched much of, or not at all previously, or you're a big fan? What's your sort of previous experience look like?
1: Oh, I I love Mid South. I mean, um, it's I actually consider it one of the, if not the greatest territory um, there is. I mean, it was just the booking the booking alone from Bill Watts or whether it be Bill Dundee who i you know, I know Bill Dundee very well, you know, I've spent a lot of time with him and here. And then, yeah, I mean, Dundee's actually, you know, he's a friend of mine. I mean, we, we, uh, I'm from the Memphis area. So, I mean, I've spent a lot of time around Bill and, you know, I, I picked his brain booking and things like that for, for a long time. And, um, you know, I, he created, you know, one of the hottest periods in wrestling history, you know? So,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I I, um, I haven't watched this stuff. And I, I, I picked, this, picked this promotion, really, because I hadn't seen it. But it was so many stars that were ultimately later sort of big in the WF. And, and, the, and the the ep- I think, are probably maybe 20 or so weeks in now. And the vast majority of this stuff, I find myself interested in these sort of five or six minute matches. And I'm really into it. And it's just perfect episodic television, wrestling television. It's just It's just so, so good. Um, this episode, unfortunately, wasn't on YouTube where most of them are. And um, so going in, I was really hoping there weren't going to be any particularly good video packages because obviously the original music is um, edited out. Um, so in a departure from normal, um, Boyd Pierce is at ringside in a very understated suit for him. Um, and they show various clips while he talks about the matches that are upcoming this week. Um, Boy, have you noticed sort of Boyd's incredible fashion sense with his, uh, his quite leery suits that he wears?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's one of the big kickers about Boy Pierce is usually wearing some kind of plaid something or something. Usually. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there was one not all that long ago. that it was almost like Joe's from the Technicolor Coat, which is just absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, we then, we then cut to the normal title sequence, albeit the, obviously the original music is um, edited out. And thereafter we head to the normal desk with Boy Pierce and Jim Ross. Um, so Snow Bill Watts this week. So um, this, uh, you've probably seen this before, but this is a really interesting time. So this, this episode would have aired the day of the Superdome show with Stagger Lee and Bill Watts versus the Midnight Express. So you're in this funny vacuum this week where not much really is advanced because this, this episode is going to be airing around the time of that show and the other 14 where they have that, they have that main event. So it's a slightly, I mean, you you think that now it'd be impossible for promotion to do something like this, but back then it was, you know, there was this sort of blurred line of, you know, when things took place and, they were able to pull stuff like this
1: off. Oh yeah. They, they did a bunch of that. They would, they would backtrack, you know, some of the, some of the smaller towns were actually on what they called a bicycle, which means they got by, bis- they were so, they were so far behind. They got bicycle to the other towns. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So like some, some towns were actually a week, maybe two weeks behind the actual current television. So when they went and did house shows at these shows, they would have to go back and go, okay, where are we in television? And they would know where they are and they would book the cards according to where they were to what those people had seen on television.
0: It's just it's just crazy. Some, I mean, this time, especially with cable television, where everything was just starting to change, it must have been such an interesting time to to follow the business closely. Also, with so much <laughs> choice as well. Um, so this week, our main event is the Rock and Roll Express versus Buddy Landell and Butch Reed. And the Midnight Express will be here plus Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus the Russian Invader. Pierce throws to Ross, who describes who he describes as being golden throated. That made me laugh a little bit. Um, and Ross puts over the great lineup of matches that Grizzly Smith has Grizzly Smith has come up with. Um, so up first we have the North American Champion Mister Wrestling with the two drop last week against Joseph Aldi. Um, I noticed I don't even watch any of these these, these episodes on um, YouTube previously, but the picture quality is miles better on the WWE Network version, um, which was which was quite nice oh. watching this on the, on here for once
1: yeah absolutely yeah they've got the, they've got the master copies obviously so yeah the the quality is much much better i mean i have some of the episodes from a guy that taped them off in the 80s when he had them and my quality is horrible you know oh, really? so, yeah, yeah, yeah
0: yeah see i don't know what's so, better the the better quality because you don't get that many video packages and actually the entrance music once you've heard it once you know what it is it's by the by really but it's just some of the video packages like the magnum ta stuff and um, Jungle well, Dog, etc. Just lose a little bit without the original music, but I did enjoy the better. And I guess, yeah, I guess it must be yeah. the, the masters. Um, so in this one, um, Savoldi has a couple of nice moves at the start before getting Mr. Wrestling in a headlock. Um, the artist formerly known as Mr. Wrestling two escapes by pulling his hair, and he takes over the head scissors style headlock, which Savoldi tries to tries and fails to bridge out of. Um, Ross mentions Savoldi's heritage on commentary as son of Angelo Savoldi. Um, Joe makes it out. And then both men are back to a vertical base. There's another couple of exchanges before Savoldi catches Mr. Wrestling with a big hip toss. Ross says that wrestling is becoming frustrated and is very vociferous with the crowd. Two gets Savoldi down again in a head scissors and drops a knee on the back of his head. And Ross says that Magnetier would give his right arm for a title shot. And when that happens, he wants to be ringside for it. There's lots of headlocks in this one, um, which Ross describes as methodical, which I think is a fair call. Savoldi strikes about lots of rights and lefts before being hurled into a corner. Um, he follows the big body slam, backdrop, and then Mr. Wrestling 2 hits his big knee lift for the win 5 526. So, um, this is a bit of a departure from last week where there was almost no wrestling on the whole show. So, what, what did you think of this open encounter with the um, North American champion here?
1: Uh, well, Mr. Wrestling 2 is, you know, he's um, he's a legend, especially in our area, you know, just from mm. the simple fact of just how technically good he was. And when you see how, how good he is, but you have to realize that at this point in time, he's he's in his late 40s, maybe early 50s, you know, when he's doing this kind of stuff. And the fact that he can still go the way he does is remarkable. Savoldi obviously is still green and getting started and stuff like that. But uh, Mister Two, you know, shows him exactly, you know, the little nuances in professional wrestling when he would Savoldi would get like a little hip toss or something like that and. And two would get up and he like he was going to charge at Savolti, but then realize the kid is getting the better of him. So he kind of does that little backup right quick. Like that's that's great storytelling right there.
0: Yeah. And I thought I've said this a few times for, for someone with a mask on his facial expressions, his body language. Or I think you guys would call it body English is so, so good. I mean, he is just phenomenal in this role and this this whole turn of his Against Magan um, it's just been so good. I've just looked it up actually. He was 49. He turned 50 later that year when this um, when this match took place. So really great shape, and you know, really really good good going for a guy. we um, for, for, for most I think Jericho's is the same age as him now actually. But for, for most people, by that point, you, people are on the, naturally sort of physically on the way down when it comes to their prime wrestling wise. And um, so next up, we have the Midnight Express versus Jeff Young and Mike Jackson um, it's straight into the ring after the break to Reza Bowden. Um, Cornette announces the Midnight Express as normal. Um, and again, there's no mention here of the big angle from last week, um, obviously, given the timing. Um, the music dubbed over the Express's theme tune sounds, I thought, like the worst of 80s dance. I, 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 what, did you catch this, this theme tune? I, I don't think they did a particularly good job here with this, uh, with this cover up
1: no no i mean it's, the midnight express is one of the most recognizable interest musics of all time you yeah. know so if it's anything but you're going to notice sir.
0: exactly does it bother you as much as it does me that, that um conjuring and not wearing matching outfits and i don't know if this is something that <laughs> they continue to do or whether this is just just during this run but I, I that bugs me too much i would say well
1: you gotta this i mean this is literally when they pretty much just got together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, they they came from Memphis, and they weren't a tag team in Memphis, but but Dundee brought them over. So, like, I, I don't – they probably just didn't have anything comparable at the time, you know? Yeah. And, like you Because know, so. even with the name, like, the name was, you know, was one that, you know, Dennis had brought over from, you know, another promotion where he was, you know, with Pete Rose and all that. Yeah,
0: he was wasn't he? Yeah, he was someone else, So this this is the first of, the, of this chat, these two.
1: Yeah, because they were called the Midnight Express, so when, when you know, Dundee said, hey, what well, can y'all's tag name be? But you know, Dennis just said, well, can we call us the Midnight Express? And they were kind of agreed. That's, that's kind of how they got there. So this is just the beginning of the
0: Midnight Express. But you I'm see right. how good you know, they gelled already, you know? Yeah, no. I mean, I, I thought I thought the guys were, were really, really good here. I um, mean, they, they're quick in and out, and um, I actually thought this was this was a really, really good good encounter. And um, this ultimately ends with the Express hitting their um, their finisher, which is um, one man sort of giving their opponent to the other in the corner to Conjury in a super exposition and then hit a power slam finisher from the second rope for four, in 4:15. Four so, yeah, what did you what did you think of this one? This this uh, short showing of the Midnight Express.
1: I mean, it was really good. One thing I want to talk about is, is Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson in the match is actually – Mike Jackson would be considered what some people would call like a jobber or an enhancement talent, but he was anything but. And I mean, he was the guy that everyone wanted to work with because he could, he could make them look like a million bucks. And even though he lost he would always lose the matches. He was still, he was still a great hand. So, like, and he was from Alabama too where bob eats from so they knew each other very well so you see how well they worked together you know just on such stuff with the o'connor and things like that you know they just um you know they they just meshed really well
0: yeah i think mike jackson and also george Weingroff, who we see later on um who who are i guess it's it's probably they're, they're on the enhancement side of things though they are Extremely good in their own right. I mean, I just think that they they, 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 when they're allowed to have some time, and these matches are never more than sort of five or six minutes, they look so good and it's so, they're so crisp, so fast, and and what they do, just, just it just works. Um, I thought this was this was really great. So sorry. So Bobby Eaton's obviously um, said some good things about Mike Jackson over, over the time that you spent with him.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I know Mike too. I, I've been on. So, oh so great. Again. Okay, yeah. And he's still. I mean. He's in his 60s and he'll do the thing where he grabs the guy's arm and he goes to the top rope and he'll strut down the top rope in his 60s. I'm telling you this. He's in his 60s, strutting down the top <laughs> rope, and, on, and then he'll jump off an arm drag guy. You know yeah, what I mean? I so I Mike, yeah, Mike can still go. And uh, you know, Bobby, you saw, you saw how athletic Bobby, Bobby is. Probably. 220, 225 there, still 62, 63, and he, you yeah. know, he that elbow off the second, you know, that was probably
0: the greatest elbow off the second rope we'll ever see in professional wrestling. Oh, it you was know. unbelievable, wasn't it? It was unbelievable. Yeah. And there was a bit in this as well that I, I, I went past, but there's a, there was a moment where Jackson gets in and he nearly catches Eaton with a cradle for the pin, and the crowd, and it's a great near fall, and the crowd goes wild for this. So you, can, you, you can, they're all on the edge of their seat thinking that. That Jackson's going to score a quick pinfall victory over Eaton there. So yeah, just just really great. Anytime the Rock and Roll Express or the Midnight Express are on this show, you just know that whatever's coming next is going to be, you know, going to be really really good. Um, so after the break, we have um, John King and Terry Taylor, who gets a good reaction from the crowd here. Um, Ross said that he spoke with Taylor earlier on, and he's still smarting from the unbelievable pounding he took at the hands of Butcher Reed last week with the coal miner's glove. Um, I thought that they did a really good job with, with putting over the coal miner's glove previously as a, as a real deadly sort of deadly weapon that's used in some of these matches. And um, what do you think of Terry Taylor in this one? Because obviously Taylor is, um, I think, probably because of the gimmick he got in the WWF later on, I, I think he's a, a bit of a sort of derided character a little bit. But um, he's, he's looked really good in all the stuff I've seen of him so far in Mid-South.
1: Oh yeah, this is and this is really where he started like coming out of the show a little bit was in Mid South when he got to have this good baby face run. You know, he's just a good underdog, white meat babyface, but he you know, he was he he looked like a million bucks, he was athletic, you know, that five his five arm is still, you know, amazing. You know, it's one of those things that's very, very hard to duplicate
0: <laughs> if you that's ever on Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's actually, we call it, the, it's the flying five arm. That's what makes it so much. Everyone else uses, you know, the under part of their arm for it, but he actually uses the top part, and it's, it's, it's there. You know what I mean? It's, it's just like getting hit by a freight train, you know, but it's it's really hard to duplicate that the way he did it.
0: So is the, is the way he does it similar to Michael? Because I know Michael's had a really good one. Also, obviously, Tito Santana was around this time as well, I suppose. Are they all, are they all, the, all similar, or is Taylor slightly different in the way he executes?
1: Yeah, Taylor, Taylor's was different. Sean's and Tito's were similar, and then uh, Taylor's was more—Taylor's was more like a big flying tackle almost, but he would hit mm-hmm. you with that top, that top part of his uh, forearm there, and he would hit you right above, like right in the side of the face and the eye. And it was just mm-hmm. it'd stop you in your tracks. As to where Sean's is, you know, kind of a a very graceful, you know, off the ropes, you know, ting kind of thing. Yeah,
0: but yeah. his was
1: very forceful go back and watch it it's 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 there you know he, he yeah. comes up really high like his arm is almost down by his his uh under his uh pectoral muscle when he hits him with it
0: you know he he also just before this hit and i've written textbook Bret hart style baby backbreaker that's probably maybe a little bit unfair on Terry Taylor, because he might have been doing this before Bret Hart was, given this is 84. Um, but uh, that that backbreaker was just like, you know, that was that was excellence of execution written all over it the way he did that. And then he, and then he went into the fine forearm for the winning 248. But again, a really good showing from Taylor. And he is going for the TV title against Krusha the following week um, for the Olympic style medal and the $10,000 prize. So um, looking good um, for Taylor. Looking again. good Taylor. So um, next up we have the TV main event of the week: The Rock and Roll Express versus Hacksaw, Hacksaw Butch Reed and Buddy Landell. Um, Reed and Landell are introduced first, and the Express get a huge reaction. And um, with the crowd, with the ladies in the crowd, literally jumping up and down here. Um, and I didn't think the WWE did a too bad of a job dubbing over Rock and Roll as King with with uh, something not too not too bad, um, but not as good as the classic that was Rock and Roll as King. I mean, I when, when this when this match came on, I really just wanted to just sort of sit back and, and enjoy this and try not to take sort of too many notes and i just really, you can only imagine how a kind of full-length house show match would have been between this these four at the time but i mean i just thought this was this was unbelievable what, what did you think of this uh, this um this match between these four
1: i mean yeah that was i mean i've i've met three out of the four of those guys i've wrestled with rock and roll express and i've met buddy landale
0: uh, Oh wow! never got a
1: chance I've never met Butch Reed, but, you know I, know, I have buddies that know Butch Reed. And, you know, those guys are all just amazing, amazing talents. I mean, the one thing I want to call attention to is Butch Reed's dropkick.
0: Yeah, I've written that <laughs> beautiful dropkick on Morton, wasn't it? i have just been so impressed with his athleticism. He, he was yeah, so Butch- good, Reed, wasn't it?
1: And see, that's what people don't understand. Like, you know, it's not when we talk about, you know, guys wrestling big and, you know things like that. You know a lot of these guys are just unbelievable world class athletes. Butch Reed still holds like I think it's something ridiculous. I think he still holds like all of his football records at his college or something like that. I mean it's just or uh, weightlifting records and all kinds of stuff. And Butch Reed shows you how, how he's the biggest strongest guy in the match, and he also had probably the best
0: drop kick. Yeah, just 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 so 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 good. I thought they did a great job in this one, um, isolating Morton. Um it's just classic tag team stuff for the Hills, distracting the ref and not allowing the tag. And I thought Jim Ross was particularly good at commentary. Um just he's he's just so, so good. I mean, absolute classic right. stuff from him. The crowd is chanting, go, Ricky, go. Um, and the tease is where Morton looks like he's going to be able to get back on top to make the tag, but then gets chopped down with something else just really, really good. Um, Rune hits Morton with a big gorilla press slam before dropping Landell onto Morton with the same move. Um, and then Morton kicks out of this near fall to a huge reaction from the crowd. And um, ultimately, Gibson can't take any more. He hops over the top rope to help his partner. And then he hits the ropes. And Cornet, I mentioned on the outside taking notes, pulls the top rope down. And Ross says he hit his head on the floor on the way down. Um, In ring, uh, Morton nearly gets a pin. uh, And I really like this, that they gave him a... um, It reminded me a little bit of the Rockers. I do not even remember the Rockers versus Power and Glory match at Summertime 90 when they injured... I think Michael's had a really bad knee go, and they injured him on the outside. But they gave Gennetti some hope spots. So this 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 hope spot of Morton, I thought, was really really good. And um, ultimately, Reed has brass knuckles in his hand. The club is Morton, and Landau gets the pin. Um, again, yeah, I just thought this was, this was really really good. And then they're, they're moving forward with the Express versus Express full on full on feud. So any, any final thoughts on this one?
1: No, I I mean, Rock and Roll Express is obviously one of the greatest babyface teams of all time. You know, I recently – I I was on House of Hardcore with them last year, and they were still, you know, one of the greatest babyface teams today. You know, so um, they're just masters of what they do, and, like, this is, you know, this is near the beginning of their stuff, and you see how athletic and energetic and Ricky Morton obviously is – if you want to learn how to sell in professional wrestling, if you want to learn how to get sympathy in professional wrestling – you watch Ricky Morton,
0: hands down. Yeah, there's um there's a match because obviously a lot of people are, are posting sort of matches of the days while people are stuck at home at the moment. And there's one that I need I put on my list of must watch of Morton and Ric Flair. I think from either 89 or 90 on um I perhaps a WCW Saturday Night. But I, that's on the list. So I need to I need to try and watch that this week. But and um, that was getting rave reviews online this week. Um, so after, I mean, have you? Sorry, go on.
1: Have you watched have you watched their eighty six stuff first?
0: No, I haven't. I haven't. So they made have a been something back then, yeah. didn't they, I believe?
1: Yeah, they they've made a they did a program there. Morton and Morton and Flair in eighty six or eighty seven, somewhere in there. Um mm-hmm. I would go back and watch watch a lot of those that was that was the hot, that was the, the peak of what they were doing.
0: Okay, well that is I I'm gonna go um in between work tomorrow I'm gonna I'm gonna search for that definitely. Um, so after the break, we have Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus the Russian invader, who was veteran Jerry Novak under the mask. A little bit of a rough start to this one. Um, Ross puts over both of their sides and says the Russian won't have to look too far for this All-American. And um, the invader has a hammer and stick on his mask, which I thought was a nice touch, especially as he only made. I don't know whether this guy did this gimmick anywhere else, but he only actually made two appearances in. Uh, Mid-South this television taping and then the um, Superdome show um, and that was it for him so I, I don't I don't quite know what the story was here um, and interestingly um, maybe this was just a short-term run because it's really unusual for a uh, two names really to end with a babyface victory in this promotion and Duggan uh, on TV that is, and Duggan ultimately gets win it here and uh, clean as a whistle in two minutes and 12 seconds with his sort of flying headbutt slash spear move and um, what do you what do you think of this short encounter between these two?
1: Uh, I think it got the job done. You know, I mean, that's what—that's ultimately what we want to do. I think the one thing I want to call attention to is there's a moment when um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan takes a back elbow from the Russian, and he kind of takes this weird kind of floppy bump. It wasn't a crisp bump at all. But you know what? I believe that bump. I believe that move more than I believe it when someone takes a clothesline and does a backflip.
0: Yeah. You yeah. Know?
1: So. I just want to point out the realism and something like that. I'd rather people believe in what I'm doing
0: than go, wow, at what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, I I think that again, I think think that comes back to the the root of things should be uh, as close to reality based as possible. Does this make sense if this was real? And I think um, you're right. If you're doing a triple triple backflip off a punch or something, that's probably not the reality, really, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, so after, after, the, um, after the break here, we have Masao Ito and Nikolai Volkov teaming for what I believe is the first time, um, certainly on television, versus Lani Poffa and George Weingroff. Um, Volkov grabs the microphone. I don't know if you heard me talk about this, but um, Volkov in Mid-South doesn't sing the Russian anthem. He the, the version he sings later in the WF is the real version. But this is, right. I don't know whether we just made this up, but it's similar every week. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a strange I one, but it, it amuses me.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't know what that
0: was either. Cause like
1: <laughs> when I was watching the episode and he said he was going to ring it, I started doing, I started singing the,
0: the you know, the, the song about Stalin. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And
1: like he, he starts singing something else. And I was like, what the hell is that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I, 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 maintain that when he went to New York, Vincent Martin said to him, if you're going to do that gimmick on my television, you have to learn the real Russian national anthem. Um, right. Lanny Poffo's in this match his stocks really dropped since he was he was initially involved in the mister Wrestling S2 and Magnum TA story and actually Randy Savage popped up in a video package one week but he, he's uh, they've, they've I don't know whether well, they lost faith in him or, or whatever I've always been impressed with Poffo when, I, when I've seen him. What, what did you think of him here?
1: Yeah, um, Poffo's always been, he was always different, that was the thing, he was always unique there was no one else that was wrestling like Lanny Poffo and doing the things that he did so to me he always had value in that sense, I'm more a fan of of George Weingroff. Weingroff was a yes. guy that I I stumbled upon one time when I was watching some Dallas and uh, some world class stuff. And like you know, apparently the the thing is that he was blind. Have you heard yes. that that he was actually yeah, blind?
0: yeah. He was legally blind?
1: Yeah, he, yeah. Whether he was legally blind or not, I, I mean I I know James Beard from that did world class, and he said yeah he was he was pretty blind. So. Um, wow. So, I, I, you know, I like uh because he's he's really a great technical wrestler. You know, to see him and maybe some stuff, um, I'm, I'm always trying to find more stuff with him, maybe with somebody, um, more technical side stuff. But this match was a good match where they both these guys, him and Lanny, could both sell around and things like that.
0: Yeah, no, a- absolutely. Um, so uh this is where we get an abdominal stretch actually here. So um Weingroff actually gets uh I'm not sure, I haven't noticed down which one it was actually in an abdominal stretch abdominal stretch here. Um but the ref is distracted in Volkov blasting with a big kick and then Ito splashes, um I believe Weingroff for the winning two fifty six. Um so what, what do you, what were your thoughts on this one, overall? Any, any sort of thoughts on this uh this match between this these four? Well
1: and that's something else, you know, we I talked about Butch Reed being the biggest, the strongest, and still having the best drop kick. You look at, you know, uh, Volkov, and he's he's what 320 here. He's massive.
0: He's huge. Yeah, he's huge.
1: He's huge. And then he jumps up and does a a leaping front kick right to the guy's face, right yes. on his cheek. Yeah. You yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Just think how impressive that is. You know, if you had if you had an NFL defensive lineman that could do something like that, he would be an All Pro. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: Yeah, oh, big time. Have you seen um, the finisher Volkov was using around this time? Can you, can you remember what he used? Because every time I see Volkov, I'm just hoping and praying that he doesn't hit his finisher on his poor opponent, because it always looks so brutal. I don't know if you remember what he What's used to respect? do.
1: Yeah, it. it seems like I remember him using that kick a lot.
0: So, yeah, he he did. He did use the kick. And the other one he used, he would get, get his opponent kind of over his... Back in, uh, if you if you uh, think Lex Luger and his backbreaker sort of move, yeah, yeah, and then he would torture move rack. them, yeah, that exactly, it's the torture rack, and he would he would lift them over his head like a gorilla press, and then drop them, uh, like a kind of like a back, yeah, backbreaker, so over the top backbreaker, but then because yeah, of the momentum, have- the guy. The guy's head would would go to the gro- right, really, really plummet to the ground, really, really quickly. And so many times you think this poor guy's going to hit his head on that one. I just, I, it, it, I, I find myself holding my breath every time he hits it because it just looks so, so brutal. I guess that's that's kind of his character. was just like a like a brutal Russian. Um, you Know kind of thug, I suppose, and, and he was pushed really, really well. I understand that he, he it wasn't around in mid South for too much longer after this, um, I don't believe, but he, um, he's he been pushed so well. And there's like a there was one moment when Terry Taylor got a quick, quick win on him, but apart from that, he's been really, really well protected, right? So, um, the next match we have Bob Owens versus Magnum TA, who's wearing a lovely baby blue cutoff shirt with Tokyo written on it. Um, and Owens sneak attacks Magnum while he's taking off said shirt. And uh, Magnum fires back with a big right hand out the corner. There's a beautiful drop kick from Magnum followed by. his always fantastic belly-to-belly suplex for the win in 124. So a really fast match with Magnum T.A. Um, I've spoken a lot about T.A. On, on this podcast and just how impressive impressed I am with him um, and just wonder what might have been. What, what are your sort of uh, overriding thoughts on Magnum T.A.?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the thing. Is he's the, one of the biggest what-ifs in wrestling. What if yeah. T.A. Never had, never had the Porsche wreck? um i mean he was obviously he was so over he had that perfect quality of uh the men wanted to be him and the women wanted to be with him you know yes. what i mean that's kind of the ultimate thing in wrestling and like he he was that guy you know he was believable he was big and really you know when he had the when he had the wreck he was still a little green like he, he still had some growing to do as far as being able to to do more wrestling stuff. I can only imagine what he would have been like in 92, 93, 94, you know, somewhere in there. And maybe if, what would happen if Magnum TA went to WWF? I mean, it's just a huge, it's just one of those things that as a wrestling fan and wrestling historian, I just, it kind of boggles my mind. What, what so this, could have been?
0: This I, is the one go, I've said a few times. So Skydome, Toronto, WrestleMania six, Hulk Hogan versus Magnum TA. And what could a TA have done? With, could, would TA have got over in the first place? And what could he have done with that title versus the Elton Warrior when Hogan was taking an extended break? I mean, you, you, I mean, perhaps he never would have gone there. But I just think he was younger than the Elton Warrior. He was much better equipped in every way imaginable to be a top top babyface in the promotion. Yeah, it's just a sad story, really. Yeah,
1: it's just it's just one of those things. It's just Would, would have Vince let him be Magnum TA and just enhanced in who he was? Or would he have tried to change him completely and yeah. be something else? Yeah, you know I mean, that's kind of, him.
0: yeah,
1: yeah. yeah okay. but I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you know, Ronnie Garvin was an NWA world champion, and when he went to WF, he was, you know, mid-card at best, you yeah. know, so it's kind of a what-if on every level, but I, to see him as the NWA world's heavyweight champion in that late 80s run would have been interesting, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think, again, and again, actually, if he, st- if he stays there, what what becomes a sting I mean, what, what does Sting a thing at all in in uh, in Because you've got Magnum T O there. It's uh, yeah. Unfortunately, you will never never know the answers to some of it, some of these questions. So. Um, back at the desk, um, Ross explains that Joel Watts has put together a piece on Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, to the music of Billy Joel, which we don't hear, unfortunately. Um, so sometimes this is clearly the end of a um, end of a taping schedule where they're they're really just trying to squeeze something in to cover the time. So in this package, we see a fountain and some buildings, and um, then what looks to be an old warship, and um, some more buildings, a fountain again, um, and then an arena. A sign saying resting and some people lining up, and then in the arena now, the crowd is building. There's a couple of lady wrestlers in the ring hitting a few moves. Um, We're in front of what looks to be a a, a sizable crowd. Terry Taylor's waving an American flag and there's some shots versus him and Volkov, which goes on a little bit long, and then back to the desk. What what did you think of this rundown of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, and this kind of filling time here before the end of the episode?
1: Yeah, I like stuff like that. I I think that anytime you can show people um, the live events and how – you know, how energetic they are and, you know, make it like well, it's, it's a can't miss thing. You know I mean? If we yeah. come to your town, you've got to be there. You know, I think that's definitely something that's that's lost its luster over the last 20, 30 years is, you know, one, they don't do anything of, of consequence on the house shows. And two, you know, what does it really matter if I even make this show? You know I mean? There has to be, you have to draw people out to it, you know, and that's why the attendance for a lot of house shows across the board, WWE, AEW, no matter what, you know, that's why it's so hard to get people out of the house.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and WWE, in terms of their non-television live event business, it, it massively pulled, obviously now, but the prices yeah. were happening, massively pulled back because they're, actually, they're, they're struggling to actually making any money on, on this. And I, I think that the, the, the landscape's changed so much with the amount of money uh, in television. But I do, sa- I do wonder what's going to happen in three or four years' time, four years' time, I think it is, when these television deals are up. And on Fox, especially, and USA Network, um, the ratings are in the toilet for WWE because I can't see any reason they wouldn't be. Um, and then is, is 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 the live event business going to be a bit more to them? And they're going to try and you know try and do something different to get people through the through the door. But it's um yeah I I I think WWE have done a lot of short termism in terms of their business stuff, um, which is ultimately going to bite them in the long term. Um, but we shall see. Things move so quickly in the world of, world of wrestling that you don't even you can't even predict what's going to be happening in 12 months, let alone four years time. Um, so after the, this package, um, Ross runs down what Connett did to the Rock and Roll Express earlier on again um, in basically putting the ropes down. And Robert Gibson ended up uh, injured. And Ross says that he hopes to have an update on Gibson's condition next week. Um, Kosha Khrushchev has been off this week getting ready for his match with Terry Taylor. And they then show the brilliant bracket of the TV title, on the, TV title tournament on this cardboard. Um, and I'm sad to say perhaps this might be the last time ever. Uh, and they say, say goodbye. What did you think of this glimpse of this, um, the cardboard television title bracket that's, that's proved so popular everywhere that it's been uh, tweeted about um, and lots written about it? And I just, just think it's one of the phenomenal things of 80s pro wrestling.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember, what, you know, Watts, Watts did the same thing in WCW when they had the um, they had the the world tag team title tournament. You know, he had he had a big cardboard thing with everyone's name on it. And I just even now I I watch that and I'm like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. You know, I mean, just to see physically, you see a physical bracket in front of you is so much better than just a graphic. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, I've always been and that's why I love territory wrestling. That's why I love, you know, this old school stuff like this, because it just feels more authentic. You know, when someone has to handwrite a bracket (laughs) You yeah. know what I mean?
0: I know. I just imagine As, him asking, "Who's got the best handwriting that can can knock this bracket up yeah. for us. I just think it's so good. Who has
1: any you know, artistic ability whatsoever? Can you? And then imagine you get halfway through and you misspell like "Piazi" <laughs> or something.
0: <laughs> you oh no! Yeah, get the tip. Get the tip X out. Get the correction ink and, and start start over. I, I thought this was, this was a interesting show. Really resting heavy. Um, at the end of the taping with huge shows taking place either side of it with, with the main angle in the company with Saga Lee and, uh, and Bill Watts and the Midnight Express. Um, it's tough to know what they could have done differently in the circumstances um, but it was a little bit jarring there was such a departure from what was a pure angle show last week um, and I, I, do, I do wonder what, the, what, what, pe- what people were thinking at home watching this um, were they thinking that we're going to find out what happens here about Bill Watts' return from retirement or was, just, was it just accepted sometimes that actually we're not going to find out about these stories for a little while. And we just have to let this, this play out. What do you, what do you think on that? What watching this at the time were people given the week before it was bill Watts all all guns blazing, we're coming back and coming back to fight the midnight express. Do you think people were just accepting that actually we're not going to know what happens for a few weeks. And that's just the way it was.
1: We got to understand too. This isn't, you know, people were watching this thinking they're watching a, a television drama wrestling show. They were watching this. This was legitimate wrestling, right? So, like, they watched it like they would watch the news, or they watched it like they would watch sports. You know what I mean? So they, 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 whatever you presented them, they believed in if you did it right. And yeah. I think they just, you know, they understood that, you know, the the um the Superdome show was coming up, and they're just presenting them what they had. And I, I, one hundred percent believe they they accepted what they what they saw. You know what I mean? I don't think anyone's going. Oh, they shouldn't have booked it that way are all oh, they should have put this but they should know that they just you know it's it's this is what's going on in mid-south wrestling right now and they gave us that
0: yeah yeah no that's that's a, that's a really good word actually um it, what did you what did you say so what are your sort of final thoughts on this uh this april 7th 84 episode of mid-south wrestling
1: yeah i mean it's just like i said it's it's everything i love about wrestling i love you know where it's presented as a sport I love where it's presented as and this is you can feel free to steal this uh line from me because I use it all the time but it's a um it's wrestling on television and not a television show about wrestling you understand yes. and that's and that's what I love you know I wanted it to be presented to me like um these guys are legitimately competing for things and they're they legitimately had gripes with each other and you know they're they're going to go back and forth and I don't mind seeing a a back elbow where someone doesn't take a crisp bump I want to see I want to see what looks like a fight and a fight is never perfect you know what I mean yeah
0: yeah no I agree I I think that's that's again that you you've you've summed it up perfectly for me I think you're absolutely right I think a fight isn't perfect and it doesn't that there's there's something to be said for somewhere between a highly choreographed super athletic contest and you know the other end of the spectrum i think there's this there's, there's can be a happy medium and it doesn't always have to be one one thing or the other but i think you know that the, the wrestling at its peak is suspension of disbelief and caring about the outcome having an emotional investment in who wins or loses like any sport if you if your favorite soccer football basketball whatever team is playing you you have an emotional investment and the, and the real top characters, whoever they are over time, people that you, you get behind or you want to lose if it's, if it's a heel that you're rooting against. And um, yeah, no, th- thank you so much. I really do appreciate your time coming on. Um, so to tell the listeners, wh- where can we find you online and, and talk, talk about some shows that you guys have got, got coming up?
1: Uh, you know, online, you can find me on Facebook at the Golden Boy Greg Anthony. On Twitter, I'm at Golden Boy Greg. Um, you can find out about our stuff at, uh, at pro wrestling mid South that's on Facebook and Twitter and things like that. Um, you know, a lot of shows around here are canceled. I had a bunch of outside bookings that were canceled, but right now pro wrestling mid South is still, is still running as of right now. We'll see how the rest goes with the virus and things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Please go like that page and keep up with us.
0: Great. Thank you so much. Um, Best wishes to you and and family and everything going forward because obviously the the world is in a pretty odd place at the moment. So, yeah, um, thank you again. Hopefully we can get a chance to do this uh, again at some point. And continued um, good fortune and good health and everything in your wrestling career. And I, I really appreciate your time this evening.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, man.
0: Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe, and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments. And I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.